What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Let's Talk Minnesota Sports. I'm your host, Andrew Neuer, coming at you on a Wednesday afternoon on September 14th. That's the sweet sound of indeed, indeed pistachio cream ale. Let me know what you're drinking in the comments section below. In today's episode, David joins us again to talk about the Vikings destroying the Green Bay Packers. And we also preview the Eagles matchup in week two. After that, I'll be talking about the Twins by myself. And I'll kind of go over if the season is over, some injury updates, and a potential Matt Wallner call-up. So, let's talk some Minnesota sports. As a quick heads up, there is a little construction going on in the background with the Minnesota Vikings talk with David. So I just want to give you guys a little heads up there. But other than that, it was a great conversation that we had. Today's episode is brought to you by Eric Molsather at Coldwell Banker Realty. The real estate economy right now is crazy, and it's the perfect time to sell your house. Whether you're looking to sell, invest in real estate, or find your next dream home, then Eric Molsather at Coldwell Banker Realty is your guy. Eric is committed to bringing you an experience that goes beyond just buying or selling a home. If that sounds like you, give Eric Molsather a call at 651-357-6528. Or email him at eric.molsather at cbrealty.com. That's eric with a K dot M-O-L-S-A-T-H-E-R at cbrealty.com. And tell him Andrew sent you. Are right, we are joined again by, we are joined again with David Weiner. How's it going? I'm doing great. Yeah, week one. Week one was a W. Week two, probably, maybe. I don't want to, I, I do think it will be a W. We can get to that later, but. Yeah. Week one, what impressed you the most? Um, Kevin O'Connell and obviously yeah. Justin Jefferson. But I think what impressed me the most was definitely how the coaching looked. I think it was just overall the best Vikings football I think I've seen since 2017. Like, to be quite honest, like, name a time – where we actually, if you think about it, if you look at it on paper, we are a better team matchup-wise than Green Bay. Uh, we do, I think, have the upper hand in that matchup, especially at home. I don't remember what I necessarily said on this podcast earlier about what we would do, but I recently was I was saying, well, if the Vikings really were all the hype, they would beat them by two touchdowns. They beat them by two touchdowns with two extra points. So, I mean, it was impressive. I really liked uh, the energy on both sides of the ball. I thought the defense really was getting into it. And Daniil Hunter, again, showed his value of what he can do on the field, just of him being there. Uh, Other guys, it wasn't just him. It was Darius Smith. But I do think when you have Daniil Hunter in that lineup, no matter what, you're a top 10 defense. So it was just a fresh take to see different defensive schemes from the corners. Patrick Peterson looked to be playing to his strength under on this defense. That's kind of what I got out of it. And I was like hesitant to see how Harrison would look. And Harrison looked like the best safety in the NFL as always. So, I mean, he might... He, he that interception I think kind of proved what he can do and I think the Vikings looked fantastic and unfortunately yeah. they looked fantastic and we're <laughs> gonna get our hopes up but yeah I don't know what else to tell you they looked great they looked like a sound football team yeah it was a must-win game like you there's no way you can, if you lose this game you're getting the season off to a poor start and then you have to at least for sure win that next game in Green Bay on New Year's Day. And that's Green Bay is going to get better as the season goes on more than likely. It'd be kind of dumb to say that they'll get worse from week one. I wouldn't, I would, I didn't think of it as must win. I thought of it more as, you know, if they can compete and show that they can battle and they look, if they can look better under this coaching staff, I just, I thought it would be a win in that book because I just want them to get some ground. I honestly didn't 
I thought on paper, this is a team that should blow them out. Well, I mean, first play of the game with that motion, I was like, wow, this is a whole different ball team. We've never seen this offense do something like this. This is a great offense. This is a team that can really go far. I mean, especially when you can put KJ, Thielen, and Jefferson on the field. That's a real big threat. And Irv Smith. And I don't even think we saw like them do their full offensive strength. So I think they're going to unleash more against Philly. Yeah, that's what's kind of scary about the whole thing is that their entire game plan was just give Justin Jefferson the ball, which is a pretty soundproof kind of plan. Usually if you give him the ball, good things will happen. We kind of, that was the thing that we always wanted them to do last year. And they, they should have given the ball to Justin Jefferson way more. I think like, obviously you touched on that where they're going to, they're definitely going to untap some different stuff. And I want to see Irv Smith a little more involved in, it's still kind of up in the air of why he didn't really play that much. Maybe it was up to game speed. Maybe it just wasn't the matchup they wanted to see. But I want to see him in against that Philly defense. If they can get him going, this is a completely different offense. Yeah, I think here's here's what I noticed. I've been watching a lot of game film. One thing I do about football since I played it, I had to watch film as a kid in high school they like forced us i know so much about football to the point where i watch it for fun now to see who did well on certain plays to see who didn't the packers played a stupid game on defense and here's why because because they doubled up on Irv a lot of the time and Thielen because those are the two guys and if you look at it that Kirk is most reliable to win in dire moments big tight ends and Adam Thielen has always been a guy Kirk can rely on when he needs something I think they expected Alexander to just man up on JJ as easy as they thought it could have been. But they had no idea that Justin Jefferson is the best player in football. And now you have a guy who made Cooper Cup, who's damn good. Don't get me wrong. Cooper Cup is easily a top five wide receiver. He earned that. But like Justin Jefferson has more talent and more capability and athleticism than Cooper Cup. Imagine him now with an offensive genius like Kevin O'Connell. The Rams looked flat. The Vikings looked great. What are we – we might be an offensive juggernaut for years to come now. Who even knows? Yeah. Well, yeah, Irv Smith only played 19 snaps. I'm looking it up right now. 19 snaps. And also, the Packers expected Alexander to be on Justin Jefferson. But as you said, the motion literally opened up everything for Justin Jefferson because he can move to different sides of the field and they can't move necessarily Alexander everywhere and line up these guys positionally on defense. So the motion was everything on offense in week one. It was almost, you know, here's the thing that I even would look into. If I was the Packers, I would have watched 2017 Pat Shermer Vikings game film because we did a lot of motion with Diggs and Thielen. We did a lot of that. You got to think that that stuff worked right with those receivers. And you got to think O'Connell would probably want to implement that within our offense. And you would even think like they would watch film on cup from last year, O'Connell when he was with the Redskins. I mean, obviously it probably did, but like, did they really even watch it to that point? Because I feel like I was like, of course we're going to put in motion and of course they haven't seen half of the stuff we're going to do anyways cuz preseason's kind of just like warm up get your body ready in a way it's not really go full throttle with what you're going to do in your scheme we showed it right now that we have a, I don't even think we showed a even a third of what we're going to do because we just had JJ wide the hell open and that's just talent JJ looked damn good on every route he was open nearly Every every time he ran a route, he was open. It was yeah. He's the best wide receiver in football. I don't feel like that's even a question. 
No, and, and so my prediction of two thousand yards looks a little looks a it little looks decent a right better. now. It looks a lot better now. Yeah, <laughs> I don't I don't think he's gonna have as big of a game as he did against the Packers just because. No. Sorry, I think you're gonna have to. <laughs> I think you're gonna have to double team him. But if you double team him, then Adam Thielen's open. Then KJ Osborne's open. It just opens up so much more, and I think that their game plan of just targeting Justin Jefferson was perfect in week one because it allowed them to save some of the stuff in further weeks. But also Philadelphia doesn't know what to expect. They're expecting just, they're going to give it to Justin Jefferson. But now that opens up the door for Adam Thielen to have a bigger game for KJ Osborne to have a bigger game. Dude, I, I was telling you like the Packers, like I don't think they really understood what they were getting themselves into. So obviously JJ's gonna go off, and he's probably gonna go off for like a couple, like oh, pretty much every game. JJ's gonna have a good game, but like Thielen, I think there's gonna be matchups where Thielen's gonna do well, KJ's gonna do well. Irv's going to do well. Fucking Jalen Rieger might do well one game. You know what I'm saying? I think we're just deep with that. The one thing I'll say, um, this team only goes as far as its O-line allows it. I think Garrett Bradbury had a solid game. I was very, uh, I was very happy with the way he played. I don't think he had a perfect game. Let's get that clear. I don't think he had a bad game. I don't remember ever getting mad at him. I looked at a lot of the stuff he did. Did solid. I think he did solid. I mean, there were moments where I would say he definitely missed assignments, especially on runs. But I think the cool thing is uh, O'Connell got a lot of veteran guards, and I think the guards could sense that Bradbury didn't really know what he was doing. So... The guards I essentially pulled to the linebacker spot in that case. It was actually kind of impressive just seeing Ed Ingram started out the game really poorly, but he's a rookie. It's his first game. He bounced back really nicely as the game went on. And I think Ezra Cleveland had a good game as well. The O-line actually held up nicely. And that was, I think, heading into the season, the O-line is probably the biggest weakness, but it might end up being one of the greater strengths. Hey, Darisaw, he's legit. Yeah. And Brian O'Neill is a Pro Bowl. He's one of the best tackles in the entire league. Doesn't get enough attention. Doesn't get any attention, but let it. Let him let him do his thing. Let him be an underdog because he loves it, I think. Yeah. No, for sure. And kind of and on the Brian O'Neill, one thing I'll say so Brian O'Neill doesn't get enough attention because this motherfucker is so goddamn sturdy and so good like you wouldn't think he'd be mean he doesn't seem at all like a mean guy like not even close and by the way they're doing fucking construction up here oh i I thought it was your dog just like biting on something nope they're doing construction but essentially i know you can edit this I don't even know how to edit it out. I'm not that I'm not that hands-on. <laughs> no, I know, but I know you can like edit. I'm just going to wait. Um kind of just on the line in my like just talking about that part of it. Okay, here we I, go. I was so what I was saying was Brian O'Neill like he's so like sturdy with it and like he's smart the way he plays and he's like nobody really gets to Kirk ever on his side and Derisaw he's gonna be really good Derisaw is gonna be good guarantee it for he sure looked really good and he didn't really get any I mean he obviously started last year with the injury but Mike Zimmer didn't really let him loose but that's also Mike Zimmer on the O-line I did want to touch on Dalvin Cook because I thought he looked really well. And kind of the thing that was one of my biggest concerns going into it was how often do they run the ball? Like this new offense is going to be pass heavy, but Dalvin Cook still got 20 carries and they still gave Alexander Madison touches as well. And that was something that I was kind of pleased with that. It wasn't just, we're going to throw the ball every play and then we'll give Dalvin 10 to 15 touches. He got 20. 
Yeah, no, I think it was a really good opportunity for to kind of like space it out more. You didn't really know when Dalvin would run the ball. Didn't really know if he'd get the ball. And that's good. That's really good to keep a defense guessing. And with Dal- with a guy like Dalvin Cook, and if you have to yeah, if you have to guess with a guy like Dalvin Cook, you lost. Yep. That's kind of He's gonna I make see. you miss every time. Every time. You lost. You're gonna get like you're gonna tackle him, maybe. We're gonna get like five yards. No, yeah, he's in and then if you don't have Dalvin and then you have Alexander Madison who's more than capable enough of being in a running back one on another team. They have so many different options and so many different weapons that they can line up in the backfield. And that doesn't even that also can include Justin Jefferson as well. There's just so many different things. And I don't obviously the running joke right now is the Rams offense look terrible and the reason for it is Kevin O'Connell. But I do kind of have some belief in like a huge reason they didn't play as well is because Kevin O'Connell is not with us. Yeah, I I do think that is the reason why. And I hate people who think that's not. But, I mean, ball don't lie. Like, the Rams looked flat. Stafford, I mean. He's injured, though, too. Stafford is so inconsistent. Like, he's so talented, but he's so inconsistent. That's the one thing I'll say. What? He won them a Super Bowl. (laughs) I know, I get it. He, I said he's talented, but he's inconsistent. But you can be inconsistent and win a Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, so Joe Flacco, Eli Manning. The, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know. The, Kevin O'Connell is obviously. I'm really excited moving forward. What he has, and we haven't really even touched on the defense, but I think defensively, they might have even had a better game than the offense. They had a way better game. Yeah, because they stopped. And even though, you know, Lazard is out and they don't have Devonta Adams and Scantling, to just stop the whole – Aaron Rodgers had nowhere to throw the ball. He looked completely lost. He did not look like Aaron Rodgers. He looked like Aaron Rodgers like five years past his prime. And that's something we haven't seen. And I tweeted out before the game, they need to stop the run because A.J. Dillon, Aaron Jones had so much success last season. Pretty much every team had success on us running the ball. We every ranked 26. Team, no matter what, you could pass, you could run, you could do whatever you wanted. Yeah, and the secondary locked up. The Harrison Phillips looked awesome. The, like They did not allow Aaron Rodgers, A.J. Dillon, Aaron Jones, whatever. They did not let anyone kind of dictate. And they got the seven points, and that was kind of – but when it mattered most is when they scored those seven points, the momentum was on the Packers' side. They looked like they were about to come back, and we've seen it all – We've seen Aaron Rodgers do it hundreds of times throughout his career. They got that they got that pivotal sack on whatever third or third down, and that completely changed the momentum. And the Vikings basically won the game because of that sack, almost because it it really shut down everything they were trying to do. Dude, we were killing Aaron. Like we yeah. hurt. He has to be a little shaken up. Did you see? I'm sure you saw this. Darius Smith where. Aaron Rodgers tried to go up and block him, and then he, when he fell down, he fell down again trying to get up. <laughs> and Zedarius was just talking mad shit, as you should. Like Zedarius Smith, he's already a fan favorite. He's awesome. He's dope. I love him, and I hope. I hope. Uh, man, I hope he stays I healthy. Hope te- yeah, I really hope this team just stays healthy on defense. Him and man. him and Daniel Hunter is such a scary outside tandem of getting to the quarterback. Like, and then, but Harrison Phillips looked damn good. And then, uh, who's ninety eight? Because I feel really bad for not DJ Wanham. Yeah, I really like him. He's got shades of Daniel Hunter, just like the build and everything that I, no, I really like, do. Dude, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you right now, he's gonna be damn fucking good, and he's gonna he's gonna really help us out on the D line this year. And he's gonna, I think we got a lot more depth than we think on the D line. But I also like our secondary depth right now. I mean, and our Cam Bynum. Cam Bynum looked great. Yeah, and great, even if like he looked, he had a great game. Like he had a great he, game. I don't. I don't remember. And obviously, PFF grades aren't determining of every single player's. Talent, I don't really but he listen was top to him five. too hard. I don't listen too hard. Yeah, but they still have some value, and they they, they do. do show like Justin Jefferson was the number one PFF wide receiver mm-hmm. in the NFL, which makes sense. Kirk Cousins was third or second, whatever. 
Cam Bynum was a real, he looked really good. And obviously the PFF grade shows it, but Cam Bynum had a good game. And it's just kind of more proving that he is the right person. Maybe over he Lewis needed different right coaching. You got to think that way too. Maybe he needed different coaching. I mean, we ran out like every coach. He did. He did look good last year as a rookie, but then obviously, uh, who was there? Who was the other safety last year? It was. We had Harrison Smith, obviously. Yeah. We got rid of Anthony Harris, so we ended up having. Um, I can't even Wood. remember. Yeah, Xavier Wood. Yeah, and he's obviously gone now this year. And when Xavier Woods, Xavier Wood was injured, or whatever, Cam Bynum stepped up big. And I, I mean, I remember the whole Chargers game when he was there. He was damn good in that game too. And I mean, now you have two, you have a young safety in Cam Bynum, and then you have a veteran Harrison Smith, who is you can make the case that he is the best safety in the league. There's a bunch he's of them. The best safety in the league, man. He's been doing this for too long not to be condemned. All right, he's the best safety in the league. Yeah. So there's a bunch of different stuff that you can go over defensively, offensively. I, I think moving on to week two though, like defensively, if you can stop, there's an, I don't really care about the passing game. They only have one target, and that's AJ Brown. Devontae well, Smith, I'm not worried about let's, him. Let's give them a little more credit than that here, Andrew, because we have a fucking dog fight in us right now. I'm not even kidding right now. All right, hold on. I'm pulling up their depth chart because I'm sorry, man, but the Eagles scare me. This is a team that I don't they really have, they have decent. They have a decent amount of players, but they don't have one player that stands out. All right, hold on a second. Dallas Goddard, Devontae Dallas Smith. is their second wide receiver. Right? Who? Zach Pascal. Well, I mean, Devontae Smith and then A.J. Brown are their two wide receivers. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What am I looking at right now? This is the dumbest thing I've ever I'm just I have the I have the lineup up right now and stuff. Okay. But, I, I mean, like, Jalen Hurts can throw the ball. I'm not like, – A.J. Brown is a great wide receiver, but the the passing game is not what I'm worried about. Okay, it's how do you contain on. the run. Yeah, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Quez Watkins. But then they have Dallas Goddard, Miles Sanders. You know what I'm saying? But yeah, they have, they have passing options, but all four of their whatever touchdowns that okay, was happening. But, but look at their defense right now. They got a good defense. They have a bunch of like good players, but they don't have one like amazing player. But that's that's fine for defense. If you have a bunch of good players, that's fine. It's tough. Well, when I get to my prediction, this I have the score close, but I do still feel like the Vikings are the better team. Okay. But the only thing that my only concern is containing the run because Jalen Hurts can run for 70, 80 yards. And all they had four rushing touchdowns last week. Who who are the Eagles? Who are who's the Eagles' new coach? Uh, Sirianni, but I thought he was there last year. Yeah, he was there last year, but I just forgot. Um, yeah, but like week one, I'm just calling up just the stats in general, just to get Miles Sanders 13 carries, 96 yards, one touchdown. Jalen Hurts 17 carries, 90 yards, one touchdown. Then you go to Gainswell, Gainswell, and that these guys played the Lions. Right, and I'm not yeah, going to downplay the Lions. I think the Lions um, are a tough team. I don't know if they have the talent to be a good team yet, but I think I think they're, they're a seven-win team. team. Yeah, I think they're a seven-win team. Eight is their probably their ceiling, or maybe nine even. But I think they're for sure like a seven-win team. I think they're third a best tough. in the division. Yeah, for sure. I think, but the, I think Detroit's on the come up, and I think mm-hmm. they're. I think they're what I like to call a tough team. They're yeah, gonna I mean, eventually be a good team. Um, they have a great, they have a great philosophy right now. I like what they're doing. The thing is, you, the fact that you let up thirty five points to them, your home, like, like I get you were in Detroit. But wow! But you let Jared Goff get thirty-five. Well, yeah, you points. let Jared Goff do that to you, you know. So now you're gonna have Kirk Cousins, and then you're gonna have Justin Jefferson. And there's like Minnesota is more talented Minnesota than Detroit. Is Detroit more is talented, and arguably on offense, Minnesota is well, just arguably in general. Right now, I think Minnesota is just better coaches, better better system right now than Detroit. 
DeAndre Swift had a huge game, though. So they can't stop the run either. So maybe Dalvin Cook is the answer. On us. But I mean, Philadelphia's defense looked like they just couldn't fucking stop the run. Yeah, I mean, you, like if you just look at DeAndre Swift, 15 carries, 144 yards, one touchdown. And then you have Jamal Williams, who had 11 carries, 28 yards. Not a good yard per run, but he had two touchdowns. Detroit has three a rushing strong touchdowns. offensive line. They do have a really good offense. So that's the other part of the equation as well. But giving up 35 points to Detroit is not the most appealing way to start your season if you're Philadelphia. No. Regardless of their ceiling being seven, eight, nine wins, whatever. There's, yeah, and the thing is, people have been predicting Philly to win that division. and I mean, I still think they're going to win that division, but how good are they? You the, know? NFC, the NFC East is never good. It's usually an eight. To, you usually just need to win eight or nine games and you're in. Yeah. But they do have a good team. Like, I, But the thing is, like, four, four rushing touchdowns for the Eagles last week. How do the Vikings stop that? How we we don't know how this defense is gonna do against a quarterback who That's can mobile. run outside of the pocket. But if you can f- keep him in the pocket and you force him to throw, I think we got it. Maybe you can speak more on the fourth, the three-four defense. Do you I do you like that against a mobile quarterback? A 3-4 defense against a bubble quarterback. Now, that's interesting. You got to blitz a lot. That's essentially the thing. If you're going to run a 3-4 defense, you got to, A, trust one at least one of those guys. Every play can get pressure. Because you need – if you give these guys pressure, they're going to make quick decisions, and that's the thing. If if Hurts makes quick decisions, I don't think – I don't think he can get it done. Yeah, and I'm so I don't I wouldn't say you should switch out Jordan Hicks this week, but I kind of do think that Brian Asamoah would have a better chance at stopping the run. I think you got to keep Jordan Hicks in because he's a guy who gets a lot of tackles and can locate the ball. I think if you have Eric Kendricks and Hickson at the same time, that's a very, very, very hard thing to do for if you're an offensive guard because then you have two guys who have great technique and know how to get to the ball very well because the linebacker reads the guard. So if if you have two guys like Kendricks and Hicks who are super smart at reading the guard, then essentially it makes it harder on an offense on a, on an offensive line and that will eventually make it harder on the quarterback. So I think that's why you got to keep Hicks and Kendricks in because they're A, experienced, and B, they're just damn good together. Like, they're good at what they do. And here's the thing. Harrison Phillips can get pressure. Uh, Hunter can get pressure. You can blitz Sedarius Smith all game if you need to, honestly. The one thing I will say, you need to have a lot of depth on your defensive line to consistently go at a quarterback like Jalen Hurts who can just run all over the damn field. Yeah, and I I wouldn't necessarily make that change. I was just I think that Brian Asmall might have a better chance at stopping the run. I think but, you gotta play him more. I think you gotta yeah. play him a lot more. Like you need to almost just put him in just to blitz. That's literally what yeah. I would say. Hey, you're going at him. You're you're playing man coverage. You're you're watching this guy. You're making sure he doesn't get out. We're going to force this guy to throw. If you can force this guy to throw on the experienced corners in secondary, especially with Cam, Cam Bynum looks damn good. Harrison Smith is good as hell. Patrick Peterson is an experienced corner. And then you got Booth and you got uh, – I don't think Boyd – Boyd didn't play, I don't think. No, they brought in – um. A Caleb Evans. Yeah, and when, he uh, didn't have a bad game. Yeah, he didn't look great, but, I mean, his first game, he got thrown into the fire, essentially. I'd be yeah. curious, too, if they used maybe Lewis Seen a little bit in some packages to stop the run, or maybe – because he is a bigger body guy. Yeah, they can, I if that... they can blitz the safety that way. I mean, dude, there's plenty of things that we they can have, do. Yeah, they have so many different options, and this is just kind of spitballing it. But we didn't even talk about even Dalvin Tomlinson – who can stop the run as well. 
with yeah. Harrison Phillips. And Delvin Tomlinson had a good game too. And he had a good game. Yeah, he had a good game too. So, I mean, essentially what you can do is with that team, you just – what I, here's, here's what I say. You go at this kid. You just go at him. You give Jalen Hurts everything. You you piss the fuck off of Philly. You know what I'm saying? You go into Monday night and you say, it's Monday night. Let's hit him. Let's hit people tonight, you know? Yeah. I, I, if you put, on, if you put pressure how, on Jalen Hurts, I want to see win. what he... That's how you win in Philly. That's how you win in Monday night on a home opener. Home opener Monday night for Philadelphia. You got to remember that. That's how you win. You you punch them directly in the mouth from start to finish, and you don't let up. I think you got to condition them this week. I think they got to freaking go for it. They gotta they gotta just be like it's gonna be a dog fight. You need to absolutely out physicality these boys because if you don't, you're losing. You, it's that, gonna be it's gonna be a high scoring game for sure. I'm betting it's, the over. <laughs> we do, should we talk about my bets, bro? Did you lose? No, you won. No, 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 no. 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 We, just, just my upcoming bets. Oh, okay. Go for it. Okay, cool. So I essentially use Barstool Sportsbook, and when Minnesota legalizes sports betting, is it legalized yet? I think they have a casino, but like they don't do. It's not. They don't have like sports, but there's like other ways around it. Like you can do prize picks and do like player fantasy essentially what it is ah that's kind of dumb minnesota needs to up their damn game but essentially i I think the vikings are gonna win i think they're the underdog and i think that was free money for me last week when i took them i also did justin jefferson anytime touchdown um i think for this one i would obviously do minnesota vikings money line again um i'm doing the over Philly is favored. Philly's favored, I know. And I I, I mean Minus I get two. it. It's their home opener on Monday night. They probably should win, if you think about it. I yeah, get why. Without a doubt. But I think we're the better team. So I think we should win. And I think that's why I got the Vikings. I got Vikings winning. I think we're going to for sure score 30 points. Yeah. The only way we wouldn't score 30 points is if it's like we're blowing them out. And one yeah, defense sure. kills them. But I feel like they're still going to score. So I I feel like def- defensively we're going to lock them up for sure eventually. And at one, some point in the game near the end of it, I think we'll eventually figure out what to do. But I feel like at first they'll they'll keep up with us maybe a little bit. I don't. I think our offense is going to be tough to keep up with. I think we're never going to let off the break. So I really think that it'll be like a Minnesota thirty three, Philly thirty three to twenty seven ball game. That's pretty close to what I have. I have Vikings thirty one, Eagles twenty four. The only, so it's either gonna go, yeah. But it's only it's either gonna go two ways. It's either gonna be a high scoring game, or it's gonna be a low scoring game because the Eagles are running so much that there's just so like the Vikings defense is better than Detroit. Way the better. only way I could see it being a low scoring game is if we stop the run more and that the clock keeps running out. That's it's either gonna go two ways. If we okay, essentially, if we can, if we can stop Philly and get a lot of three and outs and just run them down, yeah, it's gonna be like a twenty-three to ten game, essentially. Yeah, but I would probably bet the over. It's at fifty and a half right now. Yeah, I'm I'm betting the over on that. <laughs> Well, it's going to be a good game. Again, the key to it is obviously stopping the run, and A.J. Brown will probably have another big game. But Nah, I don't think I don't think A.J. Brown will do as well as people think. I don't, I don't know. I, I'm still – I want to see more, obviously, like more consistency from Cam Dantzler and Patrick Peterson. They had, they had decent games. 
other I guess, than like Patrick I guess Peterson. Actually, this will be a test. They haven't played a elite wide receiver yet, so you know maybe AJ Brown will have a good game. Yeah, so like those are I want to see. And by week eight, we might be saying completely different things about Cam Dancer and Patrick Peterson. We only saw one game, and it was kind of against their B squad lineup of wide receivers. It'll be interesting to see how they stop that this week. Obviously, Patrick Peterson had that one kind of blunder on the first whatever play of the game. Obviously, it was dropped, but... Patrick Peterson is... He's not the same player. He's not. And I think no, so that's he, the only concern I have about the secondary is how does he actually hold up throughout the whole season? He has his moments. He has his moments, but man, dude, it's like he he can adjust well. Yeah, and then but backup wise, there's not really an option because Booth got hurt last week, so I don't know if he's playing this week. Is he able? I mean, Booth is always struggling. He's a, he's a first round talent, but he always doesn't stay healthy. Yeah, we need him to play, dude. So that'll be kind of a key is how does how do how do we stop the run? Does Cam Dansler and Patrick Peterson hold up against a better offensive group? I think I think we're gonna really see a dog fight. Yeah, it'll be fun for sure. And I'm 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 looking forward to it. It'll be it'll be a fun one in that game. I mean, let's see, go Vikings. At the end of the day, this is a way better team than we had last year, so I'm okay with it. Yeah. And Kevin O'Connell, we trust. Uh, All right, let's conclude things talking about the Minnesota Twins. Is the season over? Anything can happen. The Minnesota Twins right now, 22 games left in the season. Again, I am doing this recording on Wednesday afternoon on September 14th. At this time, the Twins have not played the Royals tonight. If you did see my tweet, I did say the Cleveland Guardians. I forgot to obviously change that. Just a little copy and paste issue, kind of like Mike Tomlin and the Steelers. But with 22 games left in the season, the odds are stacked against the Twins. Five games left. I mean, sorry, not five games left. 22 games left. Five games behind the Cleveland Guardians and three behind the Chicago White Sox. How in the hell are the Chicago White Sox ahead of the Minnesota Twins in the division? Two weeks ago, it just looked like the Sox were going to completely fall off and it was going to be a two-headed race between the Minnesota Twins and the Cleveland Guardians. The White Sox, like two weeks ago, were under 500. I believe Tony La Russa is back in the clubhouse, but it almost felt like because he left, the Chicago White Sox got like some fire lit under their ass and became a much better ball club. And I guess I haven't checked to see if they're healthier now, but the Chicago White Sox did battle some injuries earlier in the season. But you have to give them credit. They haven't given up yet. I think we all kind of thought they would at this point. I mean, they're a talented team. As much as I hate to say it, the Chicago White Sox are a talented team. For a while there, if you asked me if I wanted the Cleveland Guardians to beat the Chicago White Sox, I would say yes. Because I was that scared of the Chicago White Sox that they're going to find their juice and kind of hit that turbo button late in the season. It hasn't happened, but they've been kind of steadily, they've been just hanging around for the longest time. So to recap there, just a quick 22 games left, five games behind the Cleveland Guardians, three, no, they're two games back on the Chicago White Sox. The Guardian, the White Sox are three behind the Cleveland Guardians. So the Minnesota Twins are two back on the Chicago Sox, on the Chicago White Sox. Now, is there really a chance? Yes, you could. Let me just pull up the schedule. I was meant to do that beforehand. They do have five games left against the Cleveland Guardians. I mean, if you sweep all, if you sweep the whole series and you win five, you're back in first place. Realistically speaking, are we really expecting this Minnesota Twins team to kind of win that those five games on the road in Cleveland? Probably not, especially with that doubleheader there on Saturday on the 17th. It's really hard to pull off two wins on the same day on a doubleheader. It just rarely happens. And, I mean, at this point, if they are going to be doing the doubleheader and they get to bring in you know, that 29th man, kind of like what they did with the New York Yankees there on, that, on the 7th, I think you can expect Louis Varlin to make a start on the 17th. 
I don't know if it's going to be the day game, the night game, or whatever, but expect Louis Varland to be the 29th man they call up in that situation. And I'm really looking forward to it. He did really get good against the New York Yankees, and sure, the Yankees lineup is not the Yankees lineup that we're used to seeing, but it's still the Yankees. It's still a ballpark that you can hit a lot of home runs in. And Louis Varland looked great, and I hope we can kind of see that in Cleveland against a, I don't even know if I want to say better lineup, but they are, they're healthier than the Yankees in that sense. So, and I'm not saying the Yankees are, are worse than the Cleveland Guardians because that's not true. The Yankees are just injured. So kind of, I want to see what he looks like against a divisional opponent in a must-win game. That'll be interesting to see. But like I said, the remaining schedule, I'm recording this on the 14th. So they have two more against the, the Kansas City Royals, five against the Cleveland Guardians after that. And then you go to Kauffman Stadium and you play three more. They do kind of, so if you're really looking at it, they have a great chance at winning winning the majority of their games. If I'm just doing a quick estimation, five against the Royals, five against the Guardians, and then three more against the Chicago White Sox. They also have three more against the Angels. And if I did it quick, they will probably conclude, I think, the season against... Oh, sorry. There's more against the Chicago White Sox. So there you go. I should have done a little, I should have been a little more prepared. They have six more against the Chicago White Sox and they have a three game series against the Detroit Tigers. So really, and it always is like this in the, at the end of the game, at the end of the season, you're going to be playing your divisional opponents. And we all know the AL central is not good. Plus the only non AL central team in there is the Los Angeles angels who are, who is not a good team. So really your only, your only competition is going to be the guardians at five game series and then six more against the White, against the White Sox. I give the Twins a 5% chance. And that's not because it's just, that's a really big gap to make up. Five games. There's really, I mean, you, you have to win all five against the Guardians. And then the Guardians have to also, you know, lose more games if you don't make that five-game series happen. It's tough. The Twins are injured. Which kind of brings into the next point. The injuries is just kind of mounting up at this point. And I think it's safe to say that we won't be seeing Tyler Malley, Trevor Larnick, Ryan Jeffers, Byron Buxton, etc. All those guys. I don't really feel like we'll be seeing them at the end of the season. Especially, I think we'll, we'll, we'll for sure know whether or not they'll be kind of coming back if they... Have success in Cleveland, I guess I want to say. If you have success in Cleveland and you kind of, you know, you get it within two or three games or maybe even one and a half. I don't even know. That's even possible. I just pulled out a random number out of my ass. Let's just say they're in that one to three game range after the series. And you have, what, 15 games left? There's still a chance at that point then. So if that's the case, yeah, maybe you will see Tyler Malley. You might see Byron Buxton again. But if they're five or six games back and there's like 15 games left in the season. I think it's safe to say that we won't be seeing them anymore. And Rocco kind of spoke about that. And he kind of said with Tyler Malley that Tyler Malley will return this season. If it's relevant, if it's not relevant, you can pretty much kiss his season goodbye. And I think you could say the same thing about Byron Bucks and Trevor Larnick and all those guys. There is zero point in risking any further complications or any injuries at this point in the season, if you're not going to make the playoffs. Let's just say you bring Tyler Malley in and he continues to, and he pushes his injury and it makes it worse. And then he's starting, maybe he misses worst case scenario. He misses the start of the 2023 season or, you know, misses a good chunk of the season next year. We would never forgive the twins for making that decision. If that were to be the case. And the 2023 season is kind of where we're expecting this team to, and maybe make that leap and maybe make a jump if they're healthy, you know, with Royce Lewis back, Alex Kirloff, and all these different guys. There's no reason to push Byron Buxton back because we want to see him hit 100 games or whatever. There's no reason at this point. 2023 is kind of the season the Twins are going to be looking forward to. And I just don't see them returning at this point. Again, bearing what kind of happens with this Cleveland Guardian series this weekend. On the decision to pull Joe Ryan, 
I was kind of vocal on Twitter about the whole thing, and I, I do agree with the decision of Bolm. It was not a fun decision, but it was a, a decision that was realistic. Joe Ryan, he's he's not someone who's pitched a lot of innings. I'll pull up his quick stats here, but Joe Ryan has not pitched in a lot of ball games. This season, he's pitched in 129 innings. Last year, he only hit, did 26. We have to remember that these guys... Obviously not 26 because he did spend some time in the minor league system. We have to remember that the minors did miss that COVID year in 2020 or whatever year that was. So you're already missing that season. Joe Ryan has not pit. This is he's reaching towards the or maybe he already has passed. I should have looked beforehand again, but maybe he already is kind of at the top of where he's pitched. Why risk him throwing more innings than he needs to or more pitches than he needs to? And I saw some people saying like, well, what difference does it make if he throws 25 more pitches? It's not just 25 more pitches. You're talking about a difference between 100 pitches thrown and 130. There's a huge difference there. And realistically speaking, if you gave him the eighth inning and then pulled him, what's the purpose of it? Just so that he could go further in the ball game, Just so that the Twins fans could get more upset? Just to potentially injure him or potentially run into further issues? If you gave him, Joe Ryan was, you know, he pitches in a way where he does get a lot of foul balls. And we saw that last night. There was like 30-some foul balls with the, uh, when he was pitching last night against the Kansas City Royals. At 106 pitches, it's likely he finishes that eighth inning around that 120-ish, 118 mark. Ninth inning, he's going to be a little more tired. Are we talking about 130, 132, maybe even 140? There's no reason to put a a young player in that position to potentially get injured at 26 years old. Yes. He's, he is young. He's not Justin Verlander when the Astros pulled him in the six and he's not Clayton Kershaw. When that happened earlier in the season, when the twins played the Dodgers. Yes. Joe Ryan is young. Yes. He has been healthy, but why risk a long-term thing with Joe Ryan? He is the long, he is a long-term option in the starting rotation for the twins. Why put that at risk? for one game to get a no-hitter. The no-hitters, yeah, it's awesome to watch. It's fun to see. It, it happens more often now, but it is still a cool thing to watch. But when he's 28, 29, could all that extra mileage, all those extra pitches finally build up and that he's fi- he's facing some long-term serious issues here? It's one game, and the Twins, they need him for that Cleveland Guardians series if they want to have any success or even any potential at making the playoffs. It's not just one game. You need him for the future, too. There's no reason risking further injury down the line. Or even, what if what if he did pitch all nine innings, and then he tomorrow he was feeling sore, and the Twins put him on the 15-day IL, and that ended his season? Do you know how much crap Rocco Baldelli would get for making that decision? I mean, no matter what he will do, he will always get crap. But the decision to pull Joe Ryan... It just makes all the sense in the world because he already was at 106 pitches and there's no reason to make him go 130 and potentially risk further injury. All right, enough of that. Let's talk about Matt Walner. At this point in the season, if you are five games back, and maybe we will see Matt Walner after this Guardian series if they realize that they need, you know, some extra offensive help or maybe they just want to see what these guys can bring to the table so they have these options to explore going into the offseason and maybe they figure Matt Walner plays in their plans in 2023. So why not give your top prospect a an option at showing you what he can do so you know what to expect in the offseason? And again, maybe if he does play really well down the stretch, Maybe that doesn't factor into your equation that no matter what he does, you're not going to go find a corner outfielder. Or you're not going to go find another another batter. But seeing what Matt Walner can do now could potentially help you decide at what kind of price level you want to go for a guy. Maybe you don't want to trade for a corner outfielder. Maybe you don't want to pay up for a corner outfielder. as, And maybe you pay a little less for a corner outfielder because you know that Matt Walner could be that guy down the line. And maybe you just want to find this guy who is your third or fourth option. And maybe that is just Max Kepler until Matt Walner is ready to fully take over 
in right field. But why not see what he has? In St. Paul, he did struggle to start of the year. But right now, he is batting 257 with a 382 on base percentage. He's slugging 481. He's got an 863 OPS. He's hit six home runs, 31 RBIs. He struck out 61 times and he's walked 33. However, after that rough start this month in September, in 11 games, he's hitting 383, 453 on base, two home runs, and 15 RBIs. It's, I don't really blame him for having a really kind of a tough transition from double A AA to triple A. And sometimes double A is more talented because you're not seeing these 30 year olds who are still trying to have a shot at the majors. But at the same time, those 30 year olds have MLB experience that Walt, Matt Walner is facing. They might not be as talented as some of the guys in double A, but they have the MLB experience. And that's kind of what Matt Walner is getting. And now he's starting to figure it out. And we're seeing it click in September 383 batting average. Could he, who would he replace and how maybe he, how would he come up again? Like I said, if he, if the twins are, I don't know why we have a landline still, but if Matt Walner were to get called up, it would probably have to come at the twins losing late in the season, or maybe Max Kepler goes on the IL. We, at this point, Max Kepler keeps kind of coming in and out and he'll play for, he'll, he'll pinch hit on that bat. And then he isn't good to go for the rest. Like he doesn't stay in the game. Like we kind of saw with the Yankees series. Max Kepler just hasn't been healthy. And it, it's kind of at this point, just shut him down. There's no reason to risk further injury. And as much as I want to see Max Kepler next season with the shift kind of being changed and that there, I think I'm pretty sure there's still some, restrictions and like what you can and can't do. But for the most part, the shift is going to be gone and that'll benefit Max Kepler. And I want to see what he has to offer next year, but don't, don't risk any further injuries at this point. Put him on the IL. If you can't play them, because you, you're really just kind of limiting yourself to Kyle Garlic, Celestino, etc. Bring in Matt Walner. Even if you don't bring in, even if you don't place Max Kepler on the IL, which they should, because again, he's not even playing that much anymore. He's just pinch hitting. The other option, and I don't want to say it, but it is to send back Jake, is to send down Jake Cave. I love Jake Cave. I love his hustle. I love his determination. He brings energy to the clubhouse. But we know what Jake Cave is. The season is lost at this point, kind of. Matt Walner probably figures into your future plans and Jake Cave doesn't. Why not see what Matt why not see what Matt Walner is all about? So those are your kind of options there. Maybe you send down Jake Cave, DFA him, whatever. Or you put Kepler on the IL, which is some I would probably place Kepler on the IL because again, he's not healthy. And it's time to figure out what this St. Paul kids well, I guess Forest Lake. He's in St. Paul. It's time to see what he's all about. But anyways, that wraps up our 25th episode. Thank you all for listening. Cheers.